Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. You're listening to DraftKings Network. is the GM Shuffle. What the F is he doing out there? Like, get him out of there. Put him out of here. And then when he's out there, you let him play in the game? He just disrespected you. And he didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And then he almost made the wrong call, right? Nope. He, almost, he doesn't even realize he made the wrong call. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefei. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and Visa. And I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Andre Pereiso, filling in for our guy, Elliot Bowman, on the ones and twos this morning. Elliot will be back on Monday as we recap everything for Week 17, spending some time back home there for the holidays here. But, uh, Michael, we had a lot that went happen. Like, it's a quick turnaround for us. We did a pod on Tuesday. Since then, we've seen Russell Wilson get benched. We've seen Jair Alexander get suspended. Uh, What's going on this week here in the NFL? Lots going on here. Obviously, we'll start with what happened in Denver with Russell Wilson. Well, I mean, look, the the, the Russell Wilson one, I mean, I, I love the outrage that people are having. I, I love this. I mean, I think this is comical. Like the outrage that, oh, he's been disrespected. How can they do this? I, you know, like Sean really wants to eat $50 million. Like when he went in there, I mean, I think he was, it was pretty clear. He was trying to make this thing work, right? He was trying to see if he could make it work, but it, it couldn't work. And if you just, if you're objective and you don't take the player's point of view on everything, like most of these guys do that report on it, then you could see that it, it was really, you know, it was a situation where he had no return. I mean, he, where is he going to go? You know, they've managed him to the best of their ability. That's, all, that's what they've done. And he can't really win the game for them. He's no longer the same player that he was in 13, 14, 15. And he's just not. 
And so you're paying him 50 million. You're paying him all this money. And he's got future year guarantees. Are you going to continue down a bad road with this? I give Sean credit because he tried to make it work. I think he was going in there trying to do the things, manage the game, run the football, put the ball. But, you know, you can look at the numbers and say he's having a good year. No, he's not. He doesn't make the plays that he has to make when to win the game. You know, and, and people are putting him in the Hall of Fame already. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I think Russell Wilson's a really good player. I think he's had Hall of Fame seasons. But I don't look at Russell Wilson and say, man, he's a first-time buyout. You know, I don't see him. If Lamar Jackson continues on this train, I see that as, oh, there's Hall of Fame talent. But I, the Hall of Fame's a, a messy, messy thing, as, yeah. as I wrote about in Football Done Right. But the reality of it is, is like, the, all of a sudden, Russell, who's never been really endeared to his teammates, who's never really been a team guy, now because he's getting, he's getting mistreated. I, I mean, it's just remarkable. I, I'm shocked it took this long, actually. And this is something that we talked about before the season even started. I remember we did a show on the Lombardi line, and I forget the person from the Denver market that we had on, and we asked him, he said, hey, like, could they potentially bench Russell Wilson if things don't go well to start the season? And it didn't go well to start the season. They went one and five, and they tried to make this thing work, tried to cater the offense around what Russell did well, and they were able to kind of turn it around at the midseason point. But over the last three, four weeks, it's kind of fallen apart here to where Russell Wilson now, who is guaranteed $39 million, by the way, in 2024. Like, that's the kind of mistreatment I'm looking for, to be quite honest. <laughs> $39 million. But then he also had the additional $37 million if he could not past the physical in March. That's why the Broncos are doing this now. Sort of similar to what we saw last year with the Raiders as well with Derek Carr. Just so happens that Jared Stidham happens to be the backup quarterback in both instances being the starter of the final two weeks here. But like, this was all a financial decision. Right? I mean, there's obviously some football in, in, as well, but a big part of this was a financial decision. Don't you agree? No question. I mean, it's all about the finances, and that really lends itself to the broader question, right? You know, all we talk about is we got to get in position to draft a quarterback. we got to get in position to draft a quarterback, and it's great. You know, the Jaguars draft uh, Trevor Lawrence, and it's a wonderful thing, and everybody's ecstatic about it, right? The problem isn't getting in position to draft a quarterback. The problem is finding quarterbacks that you want to pay $50 million to. That's the problem. You know, so when he got this contract, you know, any team that acquires him is going to inherit a two-year deal at $76 million. Do you think that's really, really going to happen? Now, if, that's, if, they, if they trade him before the options exercise, then it's $54 million guaranteed. Okay? Now, I think Russell has value in the marketplace, and certainly he's not a wash. He's, he's not Tommy DeVito. But what's happening in this market is these contracts – have gotten to be so rich that they don't match the talent. You have to think of player contracts like you're a banker, okay? So you go to the bank and you say, I want a loan, I'm buying a house. And they go out and praise the house and your house is worth a million dollars. And they give you 80% of that loan at 800,000. And then the market crashes and now your house is worth 200,000, okay? So you're, the bank's 600,000 in the hole. They, they, that note's no longer valuable. That's exactly what's happening to these quarterbacks. The note, the value of the quarterback is and no longer matches the contract. Like, he can get Jarrett Stidham at $5 million to do what Wilson's doing. Maybe, maybe not quite as good, but certainly not $50 million worse. And so this is the problem that goes in. This, we're not even on the cusp of the problem yet. 
Like, this is really the issue if you're in the National Football League today. It isn't we got to find a quarterback. We have to keep finding quarterbacks because who wants to pay all the money to the deal? Do you want to pay Daniel Jones? Well, you can't pay Daniel Jones because you say to yourself, well, we don't have anybody else behind him. There's the problem. There is the problem. You become indebted to bad players. And so now you're paying $50 million to a guy that you know isn't worth it because if we don't sign him, we're screwed. Right? The Raiders made this mistake. The Raiders did what, what, every, but what, what the owner was trying to get everybody going back to Gruden to do, which was move on from Carr. Okay? Move on from Carr for a lot of different reasons. All right? And they did. The problem the Raiders, the mistake the Raiders made is they had Stidham sitting there and they don't sign him. They quabble over a half a million dollars or a million dollars and they don't bring them back. And now they got to go get Rapolo and now their team's kind of discombobulated. When you get rid of the guy, you got to have an answer or you got to develop an answer. And what's happening in this quarterback market is there's no development. There's no, okay, uh, there's no willingness to part with the guy. Uh, if we lose him, we, well, you can't win with him. You can't win a Super Bowl with him. So what are we worried about? We have to build the team around them. And once we pay them, once the Jaguars pay Trevor Lawrence, are they still going to be able to do what they do, uh, build a team around them? I think it's going to be really hard. Think about this, Femi. The Cleveland Browns take Joe Flacco off the street. <clears throat> They've got $65 million for the next three years for Deshaun Watson, guaranteed. They can't get out of it. Okay, Watson averages 28.5 passes per game when he played. Flacco has come in and he averages 42.5 passes. He's three and one. They're not, he's not throwing it more because he's behind. He's throwing it more because the coach believes he can throw it. Okay. Now, if you're the front office of the Browns, you're sitting there saying, wait a minute, we're screwed. We're screwed. We got to bring Flacco back. What do we do with Watson? We've just paid him all this money. Are, are this you, is the problem with the league. And can you even have like a quarterback competition with that? Like, I don't even know if that would work out there. like financially with Watson making all that money. It's like, what do you do with him? And you're on the hook for that for fully guaranteed here for Russell Wilson, for the Broncos side of it. Like if they are to release him, maybe they make it a post June one type of cut there. I mean, we're talking about a dead money of $85 million in dead money. And they'd probably spread that over the two years. Like, are they, like, can they be able to, to kind of weather this storm financially here? Like, I mean, obviously they'll they try to, to have to do it, but I mean, man, that puts them in a world of hurt to where, yeah, like Sean Payton inherited this problem, but man, like, this still is a problem going forward, even if he's not on the team. Well, they have to, they have no choice. The Eagles went through the same situation and credit their front office for finding hurts in the second round or else they would have been in deep shit. They would have been in really trouble because the Wentz contract that they gave him, even though it wasn't as bad, they kind of have, you know, they were able to get away from it. They were able to get away from it. Look, Wilson has a no trade clause in his contract. So he has every right to say, I'm not going somewhere. Same thing that Carr had. So he can basically say, look, I'm not doing anything and I'm just going I'm, to, I'm not getting traded. You're just going to have to eat the money. He has that authority. But they also have the authority to not want to continue to guarantee money. I mean, he's, his 26 contract is $40 million. He's got $4 million of that injury guaranteed right now. So if they cut him at the end of the year, that $4 million goes away. He's got $9 million injury guarantee if he's on the roster on the fifth day of the league year. He's got, and then all of it becomes guaranteed if he's on the roster of the fifth day of that season. 
Okay, so he's got all these triggers built in to guarantee money, and all of them are guaranteed by, by injury. And so I don't, know I don't know what some of these people that are commenting on how he's been disrespected and been treated poorly, they're trying to work with him to rearrange the contract. The value of his play doesn't match the value of the contract. It's as simple as that. And, and, and if you don't believe the Broncos, then see how many people line up to trade for that contract. Isn't that the litmus test? Isn't that what really is going to show whether this is a good contract or a bad? You cut a player and he goes to the market and he makes less than what you cut him from, that shows you you overpaid him. That shows you that contract's not valid. Yeah, and like you always say, it's like you talk about how like the people just see players, but you have to see player plus contract. Like, and that's the problem yeah. with Russell Wilson is like the contract is like the big issue here. So yeah, if he's making two million dollars, maybe they work with this, but he's not. He's making fifty million dollars. I mean, if he were making twenty million, I think they would work with it. I think they would say, okay, look, the last three years of Wilson's years have been horrible. They have not been good. I mean, he hasn't won games, hasn't come from behind. I mean, there he is the other night. I mean, if there's ever a time, let Russ cook, right? The greatest comeback player of all time, right? He can lead you back. You know, what, what were we all saying in the betting market five years ago? You don't want to play against Russell when he has a three-point. If he's down three, you're going to lose, right? But that ended, that ended three years ago in Washington. Remember that game in Washington where he went back there and they have a chance to win the game with Seattle and he can't throw the ball, the guy's wide open in the end zone, he doesn't see him? Like that ended at that moment. I said to myself, there's no, you don't, don't be fearful of betting against Russell Wilson anymore. And last week against the Patriots, it's the same situation, right? He, he's got a chance to lead them to a victory. They go three and out. And they take like 20 seconds off the clock. New England able to go ahead and kick the game-winning field goal as time expired there uh, last Saturday night, or Sunday night, I should say here. Do you think that this is the end of Russell Wilson as a starting quarterback in the NFL? Or maybe one of these teams that perhaps strikes out. We can carry the conversation on to the other side as well. Yeah, let's talk about it on the break, after the break. Yeah, because I, I think that that's what's interesting here. It's like, because Derek Carr, we saw him able to find the home in New Orleans. Can Russell Wilson find the home? We know a lot of teams are going to be looking for quarterbacks throughout this offseason here. The draft has a bunch of guys that people are excited about. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix Jr. The list goes on and on. And then, of course, maybe the free agency pull for some of these guys, but that's a little shallower than what we are expected to see this spring in the draft. But we'll answer that question and other parameters as well on the other side. This is the GM Shuffle here on the DraftKings Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So, Michael, as we were heading to break in the last segment there, I was asking you, where do you think Wilson could land? And will he land as a starting quarterback uh, in 2024? Because uh, there's a lot of teams out there quarterback needy, but there's a lot of cheaper options in the draft. We'll see what happens with that here. But is it to one of these teams that maybe strikes out in the first round and not being able to get one of these prospects? Like, is this or is this the last that we've seen of Wilson as a starting quarterback in a for an NFL team, at least to start the year? I mean, I find it hard to believe that he can't go somewhere and operate but the day of him cooking and him being the guy and I think a lot of it's going to come down to the 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 fit within the team right because if he comes in thinking that he's still the guy that he has to be let him cook I I think it's going to be hard I think Sean tried to manage the game as much as he possibly could around them and it wasn't effective you know they couldn't win enough games you know and it's not his fault they lost 70 to 20 but the fact is, is at $20 million, is he still a good value for you? I think you have to answer. I think a lot of it's going to come down to fit and the team around him, you know, and where he is. You know, where is he in life in terms of willing to accept the role and the plight of where his career has gone? Because the last three years of his career has been a disaster. And so I think to me that that's got to be the fundamental question. I think this is more than just watch the tape. I think it's you don't walk into the if you're the general manager of the Washington team or say the Falcons, let's say you're the Atlanta Falcons and you, you know, you're looking for a quarterback and you're Arthur Smith. And okay, how does he fit within this group? How does he lead within this group? You know, we we know for all the, the, the love that he's receiving today because of the mistreatment and the disrespect that he's receiving, taking the 50 million dollar check home with him. I mean, Jesus, God. Uh, I think you got to feel like how he fits. The other interesting thing in this whole thing is George Payton, the the general manager who made the trade, right? You know, up until last year, he was defending the contract. I mean, he was defending the contract. And, you know, and he didn't see it. He thought it would be fixable. And I think a lot of it was that that they convinced Sean to give it a year. And I think Sean gave it a year. Because it really doesn't do Sean any good to walk in there and say, I got to get rid of this asshole. He's gone. Get him out of here. Because he's got so much money tied up into him. He's got to like try to make this work. And once it reaches the point of not working, then you got to make, then you got to have to start eating, you know, you got to do it. But what's fascinating about this Russell deal is when he made the trade for him, when George made the trade for him, and look, we've all made bad trades, right? We've all made bad trades. He gave up a, you know, he ended up, the, the Broncos, John Schneider and Pete Carroll made a great deal. They end up with Charlie Cross. They end up with Mafi. They end up with Weatherspoon, Derek Carr. They got Fant and they got a backup quarterback in, in Locke, right? So they, they, they got a lot of pieces. I'm not saying it was good, but what's fascinating about the deal was like he did not have to redo the contract. 
He had two more years at 50 million. Like this would not have been such a colossal mistake if he didn't redo the contract. Right? When LA took in Matthew Stafford, they did a, a full year. They didn't do the contract. They waited a full year until they redid the deal. Detroit's never done anything with Goff in three years since his acquisition. Right? So they didn't have to touch it. But, but George went ahead and redid. Not only did he compound the mistake, like he could have easily said to Russell's people, look, I want to see how this thing goes. We've gave a lot up for you. You know, we got a coach here who's going to coach it and then watch it. But he went ahead and rewarded them. And, you know, you, you've read all the articles from there about, you know, how prideful they were about the Hackett hiring and how diligent they were. I mean, this has really been a, a colossal, colossal error of judgments on his part. And I think to me, I, I don't know how he walks around the building. I would be embarrassed. I would, I literally would be. I feel badly for him, but, you know, he's getting paid for it. But, you know, this, these were really bad mistakes and they compounded the mistake. We all make mistakes in trades, but then he compounded it with the money. I mean, I don't even know how, I don't know how Sean Payton says to him, hey, George, what do you think? Like, how do you say that to him? Now, he'll get another job immediately in the National Football League, immediately. There'll be no problem. He'll get another job in the league. He's well-liked, you know, and, you know, he gets along with the media. That's why you don't hear anything. That's why I'm the only one probably talking about how is he still in the building. Yeah. I mean, is this uh, the end of him being in the building, though? Like this Russell Wilson like debacle? Oh, yeah. Like this probably is like it's over, right? I, I got to think it's over. I, I got to think if Sean could ever get, I don't know if he can. I mean, I think if Sean could get Jeff Ireland in there, he certainly would do it. But you know, when you make a disaster like this, I don't. The Walton family have paid this money. I mean, the one there's many things I've learned from Al Davis, but reacting too quickly is probably the greatest thing he wouldn't do. Now, I used to say he didn't really want to make a decision, but the brilliance of the man was he wanted to see things clearer. He wanted to keep going, you know, and I think that's wisdom from age. I think you get that from age. You know, let's just see how this plays out. Let's not assume it's just going to go to plan. And, you know, George jumps right in and gives him this record contract. Like, who was he negotiating against? Who was he negotiating against? Like, John Schneider's sitting there, you know, and everyone, oh, they get traded. They got to let Russ. How many years were we leading, were we listening to let Russ cook? How many years were we, were, we had to hear that? You know, I mean, the 2020, the strike year, or the, the COVID year, he was 12 and 4. I mean, Russ was a... And, and you, you and I both know you were up there. Yep. Like, the, he's not, like, loved by his teammates, I mean, that's well documented at this point, everything that's come out ever since he left Seattle and all that stuff. And the, the let Russ cook stuff, like, I mean, there can obviously be revisionist history, but we all remember, like, the, the fan base was saying that Pete Carroll was holding him back. Like, we don't need to get into all of that stuff. Like, it, it had been going strong since, like, 2015, all the way until he left the whole let Russ cook movement here. But, I mean... This like this organization with the Broncos and what they tried to do because I know our guy Jordan Schultz over at Bleacher Report, the NFL Insider, he talked about how like this was like in it was working out over the weeks. Like they tried to go to him earlier this season and say, "Hey man, like we need to restructure this thing or like take away these injury guarantees, otherwise we're gonna have to bench you." Like they were able, they're not able to kind of come up with something to negotiate it to where now of ultimately Sean Payton and those guys kind of just said, "All right, hey, enough is enough." So this feels like these two sides have kind of been working towards this. Like it doesn't feel like Russ is being blindsided, I guess is what I'm trying to say here, like the whole like mistreatment and all this stuff. Like he knew that this was eventually coming down the line, just didn't know when it was going to happen essentially. 
Exactly. And, you know, and he, you know, he obviously played hardball. So, you know, and he's, you know, look, he signed the contract. He has every right to play hardball. I'd do it too if I was Put it back on them, you know. And so, but taking away the the injury guarantees really are, you know, it, 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 it does hurt him in the sense that if he does get injured, you know, it does become a real issue. And so it's kind of hard to get a player to take away the injury guarantees, especially in a sport where injuries happen at a, at a high level. You know, it's a hard thing. You're going to have to – I'm sure there was some form of compensation, some form of redirection to try to get that out of there. I don't think they were just trying to line on him and scratch him out. But I get why he wouldn't want to do it. I get why that. He's an older player. He's 35 years old. I mean, look, right now he's the fifth oldest starting quarterback in the NFL behind Rodgers, Stafford, Tannehill, and Cousins. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I think the fair question is what's next? But through all this conversation about Russell, I think it really comes back to team building. I think it really comes back to somebody in your organization better have a plan. And, and you can laugh at the Packers. Okay, you can laugh at them for what they did when they drafted Jordan Love and all that. But to me, I think that's the plan. I think you have to you got to get a quarterback. You got to have an offensive system that can adapt to the quarterback. I'm not saying he's got to be the first pick overall in the draft because that sometimes doesn't work. And that fifth year contract's not going to get picked up. Think about it. When Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he's going to get his fifth year picked up. Jacksonville's going to be in deep shit when they have to pay him the 50 million. Right. But all the other quarterbacks in that draft are not going to get their fifth year picked up, nor are they going to make $50 million. Two of them don't even start, Lance and Jones. So, Wilson, you know, and, and, and Zach Wilson. I mean, well, he starts, but he doesn't, really. So, you know, all these people that say, well, we're going to get our quarterback in the draft, hold on, hold on. You might not. So for me, I think it's about we got to build a system of offense that we can bring a player in that, that we know – for lack of a better word, is similar to Brock Purdy, who's going to be enhanced by the system and can operate the system. I'm not dismissing Brock Purdy whatsoever because I think Brock Purdy's really good. But, but then when it comes time to pay him, we're going to have to have somebody behind him because if, if we do what Dallas did with Dak and say, if we don't pay Dak, we're screwed, now you eat all your cap up. Now you're really in trouble. Now you're really in trouble. 100%. And, and I'm curious to see if there's a franchise that's going to do that going forward. And it's not necessarily like recycling through quarterbacks like every four years, but just at least having a plan to say if, if a guy wants to play hardball, all right, well, go out and test the open market. We're confident that we can go ahead and replace you next year with a guy that we've been developing in our system over the last couple of years. Like you don't want it to be the oh shit moment. Right. And that's what everybody pushes themselves into. It's like, okay, you know. Ron Wolf was drafting quarterbacks every single year in, in Green Bay. You know, he Mark Brunel, you know, Matt Hasselback. The system was quarterback friendly. So he was putting them in plug and play. He's getting value out of them. He wasn't drafting them to replace Favre. He was drafting them to get more value out of them, knowing that his system enhanced it. Walsh did the same thing. Trade for Steve Young. No one wants him. We'll modify him. Maybe we'll get more value for him, or maybe he'll take over because Joe's back is bad. See, there's got to be more long-range planning. The Giants sit there with – they just – they fall in love with, with, with Daniel Jones, and now they're stuck with him. Now they're stuck with him. When last year, if they would have drafted a quarterback, I'm not saying who, whatever, but if they would have kept drafting quarterbacks and developed them, maybe they hit. Maybe they find somebody that looks like – look, look, 
I think Jake Browning has looked as good as any of these quarterbacks. He's looked as good as Trevor Lawrence has. He's more accurate with the football. Now, Lawrence, to me, makes way too many mistakes with the ball. He, he, he's Obviously, he's very talented. But that talent hasn't resonated to where you want to pay that. And I'm not picking on Trevor Lawrence. Everybody just assumes, well, he's got Doug. Doug's fixed him. No, he hasn't. Doug hasn't fixed him. He's a little bit better than he was with Darrell Bevel and, and Urban Meyer, but not a lot. He's no longer a franchise player. Generational was the word that was used when he was coming out of Clemson. I thought he was. I'm saying that I thought he was. I thought he was as good as any player I've seen. But that's not – but he hasn't – That there's something missing in his game, whether it's – the ability to process, whether it's intelligent. Well, I don't know what it is, but it does. And his, and his fundamentals and techniques from one week to the next go bad to bad, back to bad, back to good. No consistency in anything he does. It's almost like it's a microcosm of that Jaguars team. Like one week it could look good, and the next week it looks pretty bad as they sit there at 8-7. and seven. Uh, You mentioned those Green Bay Packers, Michael. We'll discuss what's going on with them this week here with Jair oh Alexander. God. Coming up next, I, wanna, I know you have Big Daddy's thoughts as well. We'll be right back. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. What in the world is going on with the Green Bay Packers cornerback Jair Alexander? The Packers suspended him for one game. Conduct detrimental to the team. This goes back to him just, I guess, gate crashing the coin toss last Sunday in their game against the Carolina Panthers there. Uh, He was not one of the team captains, but he decided to go out there since he's from the Charlotte area. And, uh, uh, Michael, your thoughts here on Jair Alexander, who has had a, a, a tumultuous season, to say the least, here in 2023. Well, I listened to his comments after the game. The reporters came over to him, and, you know, he acted like it was pretty good. Like, he acted like, okay, yeah, man, you know, I came from Charlotte. My, my teammates got my back. I went out there. Like, are, are we kidding ourselves? Like, I've never even heard of this before. But, but let's start with the head coach, right? Like, you're sitting there. I'm assuming he was looking at his play sheet or combing his hair after the fresh haircut, as Big Daddy would like to say. But, I mean, at what point do you look out there and you see Alexander out there on the coin toss and, and you don't say, what, what the F is he doing out there? Like, get him out of there. Put him out of here. And then when he's out there, you let him play in the game? Like, you let him play in the game? Like, he just disrespected you. And he didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And then he almost made the wrong call, right? Yep. He, almost, he doesn't even realize he made the wrong call. Did you, did you see the interview? I, I did. When the, writer, when the reporter asked him and said, you almost made the wrong call. Well, you know, I did. I, I won the ball. You, no, you – no, no. Like, it, that is everything right there what's wrong with an organization. That's everything what's wrong. There's absence of leadership. There's no accountability. Guy does whatever the hell he wants to do, and then you're the head coach on the sideline. Like, somebody didn't see his ass out there and say, hey, get, get him out of there. Put him back over here. See, everybody is scared to death today in this world. Everybody is scared to death to hold people accountable. 
It's like Michael Irvin got mad at Sean Payton because he yelled at Russell Wilson. Can't yell at him like that. Like, when did this change in this world? Like, when did this stop? I mean, you know, you don't think when Lombardi had players come off the field, he wasn't yelling at them or telling them or motivating them or trying to get them to play better, holding them accountable? Like, when has the absence of accountability happened in our sport? Like, the only teams that can win are the teams that have accountability, that have everybody doing what their jobs are, nobody acting outside. Meanwhile, the head coaches stand there watching it, and he doesn't say a word. And it takes the GM fires him on Wednesday. Now, I think the reason it took so long to make that decision is I'm sure that Goot had to go and, and make sure that he had all his ducks lined up so that when the player files the grievance to get his game check back, that they've got proof that he violated what he did. So they can sit there and say, look, the guy was being, the guy didn't he was out there for the coin toss. He wasn't supposed to be. It's conduct detrimental to the team. I mean, this to me is, the guy's played six games. Big Daddy's been complaining about him all year. He's been saying to me, I think something's going on with him. I think he's pissed off at the team. I think, you know, he's been telling me, this is, this is gospel truth. And I'm saying, no, nah, Big Daddy, I think he's just got a bad shoulder. You know, he's been, I don't know if he's been milking the shoulder, but he hasn't been doubtful. He's been questionable for like a month, right? And he hasn't been able to play. And then he went out there and he hasn't played worth a darn. Like the guy's played one year in the last three. And then he, then he shows you this. Like, you can't win with that guy. Like, you can't win with him. Yeah. Like, just like you can't win with Jack Jones. Like, you can't win with him what he did. You just can't win with that. Like, you just can't. That, like, that, is the, that is the essence of why you can't win. And it's a joke. And, and if, I were the, if I were Goot, I'd be like all over the floor. Like, you didn't see this? Like, what's he doing out there? Like, who's going to hold him accountable? You wonder why Joe Barry still has a job? Because nobody's holding him accountable. If you don't hold Alexander accountable, how are you going to hold Joe, Joe Barry accountable? Well, he's my buddy. I love Joe. Joe and I are friends. I, I get we're friends. I like that. It's wonderful. We're all friends. But we have to do the job to maintain the friendship. You have to do the job. You know, you don't want to fire him because you don't want confrontation. See, this is the problem when you hire play callers. Play callers, I've learned this through my experience in the league. These guys that are really good play callers, they know offense or they'll know defense, but they don't have enough belief in knowing the other side of the ball or the kicking game to walk into the room and say, here's what I want to do, or here's what I think we should do. They get back down. They get back down because they really don't know the whole game. And if you're a head coach, you got to know the whole game. you got to sit there and say, Joe, we're not good enough in run defense. Here's why our run fit sucks. Here's what we need to work on. Here's what we need to do. Here are the things that are going to help us. I, I just find this hard to believe. And I would be so pissed off, you know, if I were anybody in that building. Because this is just, it sums up why we can't win close, why we can't win hard games. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big middle finger to the to the organization that he went out and did that, honestly. And like the, the what he said in the post game when asked by the reporters, did anybody talk to you once you got to the sideline? He said, no, nobody talked to me. Like that is uh, just a red How flag beyond belief. That is such a massive red flag if you're a Green Bay Packer fan or somebody who follows that team. Like how, how does nobody say anything I mean to him? All right, you could say, what would Bob Knight have done? He would have. Okay, just ask yourself, what would Dean Smith have done? You know, like, you know, you don't have to be a yeller and a screamer, but accountability is the number one part of the game. 
Everybody has to. One of the things that are killing Kansas City is the quarterback isn't be. I thought Dante Hall had a great statement where he talked about, really, this falls on Mahomes because he's not running the offense. He's not willing to take the profits. That's right. That's exactly right. He doesn't want to run the offense. He wants big plays. So he's holding the ball longer. They can't make big plays. So you got to hold him accountable. That's what happened in Denver. He was holding Russell Wilson accountable. That's why he was yelling at him. That's why he was trying. Look, he's got to be held accountable. Like, I don't get it. Like, why do we think in a, in a team sport that we think we could not hold players accountable? You want to know why nobody wants to hold players accountable? Because they won't get a head coaching job if they do. Because Devontae Adams will get mad at Josh McDaniels and get him fired. Right? You know, and so, you know, or they'll turn on, you know, now you won't get a job. And, and because the media is sympathetic to it and because the media doesn't understand it, like we see these clowns over at the Worldwide Leader defending Russell, you know, it's like, okay, like, like the absence of the 50 million, then, then you're going to get it. Like, no, no, no. We are in an accountability sport. We're all accountable. And if we don't, are, if we don't have accountability, what do we have? We're not going to win anybody. We're not going to beat anybody. You think the Washington Commanders have any accountability on their team at all? I, think, I can promise you, if I walked in that building tomorrow and I started asking people, every player, if I asked Jacoby Brissett, who's a great kid, who understands leadership, who understands how to do things the right way, he may not be the most talented player, but he gets everything that you have to get. He would be the perfect son-in-law you could ever have, okay? He gets it. Tough. We'll do it. I bet you if I had a five-minute conversation with Jacoby Brissett, Everything I tell him would be completely true. There's no accountability. You see it. There's no accountability at the Chargers. And then when there is accountability in some places and the players don't want it, they go to the owner, and then all of a sudden there's no accountability. It, it, when you talk about accountability and, like, coaches talking to quarterbacks and all that, I, I just, in my head, I see the Bill Parcells chewing out Phil Sims. I think the game was in Indianapolis, and I, I want to say it was. And they were just, like, in, like, a shouting match. And, like, Sims is giving it back to him as well. But, like, Parcells is like, go sit down and da-da-da-da-da. Like, you know, like, we're not playing well. Or, I mean, jo there's the George Seifert benching Steve Young in the season that they won the Super Bowl when they lost to Philadelphia, got blown out, had a bad game. Steve Young wasn't playing well. And he, would, he wanted to go back out there. And Seifert said, no, time to go sit down. Like, like, like this has happened to so many quarterbacks along the way, and that was the way of the past in, in today's day and age. I guess you can't really do it as much anymore, but uh, it, it's, 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 it's been, I don't know why. Why? I, I, it, why? Who said it. you can't? People don't do it. You, you, you're going to have to. You, you, the team that wins, I mean, I think, with the, I think the Ravens can. I think they're holding them accountable. I think you could see it. I mean, just listen to what, you know, if, if, you, read, if you read what or listen to what they said after the game, you know, when they said that, I mean, I think, I don't think, I think it was Rohan or something. He said, uh, you know, we play a brand of football. Oh, no, it's Patrick Queen. He said, we play a brand of football that people don't want to play. Everybody wants to be out here cute playing basketball grass, and we're not that. You can do all that stuff, but you're going to have to hit somebody in the mouth and play honestly. We could care less about the pretty stuff. We don't do the gimmick stuff. We line up and play football. That's our mindset. Uh, you're not having that mindset if you don't have accountability. Applaud them. Applaud them. Yeah. Because I think it's going the other way. I think if you have accountability and you have toughness and you build a team that way, you're going to beat everybody else because there's an absence of it. Like, do you think Jacksonville's tough? Do you think Kansas City's a tough team right now? They're a hard watch. No. 
No, I mean from a physical toughness. Of course they don't. I mean, the Raiders kicked their ass up front. Watch that tape. So, like, to me, this trend of being, oh, everybody's going to be, so sing Kumbaya, let's go to Dairy Queen. Like, hey, th- th- that ain't leadership. That ain't, that ain't how you win in the world. I'm not saying you got to be an asshole. All I'm saying is you have to be accountable. You've got to call. You've got to try to make players better. And the only way you make players better is by holding them accountable. Like, they can bring Aaron, Aaron Rodgers back all they want next year. They can do whatever the hell they want. There's no accountability in that building. They'll be 6-11 and 11 next year. Just write it down. They're going to go to camp this summer. They're going to have mild practices. They're not going to have physicality. They're going to tell us how great they are. Salah's going to go work on his golf game in the offseason. Everything's going to be wonderful, and they're going to suck. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably what would have happened this year, to be quite honest, with the offensive line that they're putting out there at one Jets drive there. Uh, real quick, on the you mentioned the commanders here. Uh, Ron Rivera went with Jacoby Brissett there to start Week 17. Sam Howell's been gone to the bench here. Is that the right move here for the commanders? Is I mean, Brissett clearly has been the better guy. I don't know what's happened to Howell over the course of the season. Maybe the, I know what's the, the sacks have gotten to him or what's going on. But, yeah, please explain. Uh, what do you mean the sack? The guy's gotten the shit kicked out. How long have I been saying on this podcast, if I was his father, I'd be bitching to them? There's no regard for the protection of the player. They don't even try to run the ball. They just keep calling passes. Look, if they wanted to make Eric Bieniemy the head coach, if that's what they wanted to do, they would have made him the head coach already. Like, for anybody to think that after the season, Bieniemy is going to be the head coach of Washington, I think it's a, it's a poor judgment because I think that building doesn't want that. Or if the building wanted that, it would have happened already because Rivera knows he's a lame duck. Yeah, and Rivera will likely be uh, gone at the end of the season here for the Washington Commanders. Well, now they get to play the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday, hosting them. I'm sure that game will go well. They're right now a 12.5-point underdog uh, against the Niners, who are coming off of a loss here. Uh, on the other side, we'll get to Thursday Night Football. Jets, Browns, Browns have a chance to clinch a playoff spot tonight. Of course, Saturday night's game should be a lot of fun. The Lions at the Cowboys, that's a very interesting game, in my opinion. Then we'll get into the other marquee matchups as well in Week 17. The penalty ultimate week of the regular season in the National Football League. We'll break it all down. Coming up on the other side, this is the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. Uh, Michael, before we get to the games, wanted to clear up a note that we talked about it on the pod uh, on Tuesday, and then you brought up the Raiders thing again here today, but the, the Jack Jones Arrowhead Stadium incident, apparently, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, he tweeted out uh, defending himself, saying that like it, I wasn't taking it away from the kid, the football. He said that there was a guy behind the kid who tried to step in and intercept the, the recipient of the football, so I guess that's why he pulled the ball I away. I didn't see that. Is, uh, is Jack Did you Jones, see it that way? He, 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 that's what he tweeted. Um, so I, mean, I didn't I see that. I mean, I got to, maybe we'll go back to the Zabruder tape and watch that. I mean, I'm too busy on this Kennedy thing. Uh, I don't have time to go back and watch. <laughs> now you got tapes. the Jack I'm Jones too busy thing to down watch. this rabbit hole. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm right now. I'm on. I'm right now. I'm at a part on this thing where I'm convinced there's two Lee Oswalds. I bought this book Harvey and Lee from eBay. It was the mo- it's the most unbelievable book I've ever read in terms of it. It's so detailed. Uh, it's unbelievable. Actually, I'm so excited. I'm going to be on uh, the guy who does Solving JFK, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Crumpton. He asked me to come on his pod. I'm jacked They're, to do that. Nice. I'm going to talk about Oswald. When yeah, are you guys I'm doing so that? excited about it. I think I'm doing it next week. 
I got to do, I, but I'm doing a lot of homework, man. I've been on this homework program here. I got to, you know, like I'm reading my ass off on these books and it's fascinating. You know, we, we owe a, an apology as a nation to Jim Garrison. We do. We owe an apology to that poor man. They ridiculed him. But they, they destroyed him. They made him look like a fool. And everything he talked about, everything he said has been true. It's a shame how they can, how the narrative, you know, and we see it in our sport too, right? You know, Devontae Adams catches one pass for four yards and nobody complains. If that would have been Josh McDaniels, the world would have been, the, the world would have been lit up. You Get know him the I mean? football. I mean, it would I mean, it would have been the end of the football, right? I mean, one catch, four yards. The narrative is, it's okay, we won. You know, meanwhile, if Josh did it, I'll fire him. He's the he's the shittiest offensive coach. Didn't have a quarterback complete a pass. After. I mean, at some point, when are they going to bench Aiden O'Connell? Like seriously, at some point, when are they going to do that? He's the worst. He's on Tommy DeVito level. Yeah, talk about accountability there. Uh, DeVito said that what he learned throughout the season, though, is that he belongs in the NFL, is what he said. So good for him, man. He's got the confidence to go out there and, and stick in the league here. But uh, we're not going to see him coming up uh, the rest of the season. It's Terod Taylor starting now for the New York Giants. But we do Shocker. have – Shocker. <laughs> I never saw that coming in a minute. Like, did you see the line go – I mean, look, one thing I've learned about the betting market is it can tell you a lot of things. And if you're in the league – you should look at it. I'm not saying you need to bet. I'm not saying that at all. Yes. But the betting market is very similar to the stock market. There are variables and people are, you know, what's, what does Berkshire Hathaway do for a living? They evaluate companies, right? And so they set prices on companies and they look for value in different companies. It's the same thing in the betting market. You're looking yep. at value. That line was six and a half. It went to six because it's kind of a, a game in between games, right? The Rams, the Rams played a big game on Thursday night against the Saints and then they come back to Washington. They go back to New York. Then they got to go play the, the, the 49ers, right? So it's kind of like a almost, I don't want to call it a trap game, but it's kind of a trap game, yeah. right? But And so the line moved from six and a half to six. And then when they announced Tyrod, it went all the way down to four. Now it's come back to five because there's been some resistance because the Rams at five might be the right number. But that tells you all you need to know. Like if yep. you're Brian Dayball and you see this, right? You see, wait a minute, they moved the line. Maybe Maybe I was wrong on this one here. Like, like, you know, there is, and I'm not saying Tyrod Taylor can move any line, but he can move a line more than, more than Tommy can. Yeah. Just like Aiden O'Connell. I mean, that Colts lines up to three and a half. Who's not waiting at the window to bet against Aiden O'Connell on the road in a dome on Monday, on, on Sunday? Like who's not throwing money at that? Like the pros and the Joes are betting that one. That line's already at three and a half. It'll get to four before I get to the Russo contest. If there's one thing, the betting market is uh, unbiased. They don't care what team it is, who it is. They're just looking for value. They're looking to make some money. And that, that's why I, I, I hold it in high regard here because, like there's like you said, there's none of these biases of what people have. It's strictly can you go ahead and cover the number. And the betting market is telling you that uh, Terod Taylor is a clear upgrade over Tommy DeVito um, despite what we've seen over the last month or so. Thursday night football, though, interesting. Jets at the Browns. We'll spend a couple minutes on this. Usually we don't do Thursday night since it comes out the same day as the pod. But uh, a chance for Cleveland to go ahead and clinch a play off spot, which is pretty remarkable. The job Kevin Stefanski has done, the job Joe Flacco has done. Uh, one thing on an injury note, though, for Cleveland, Amari Cooper didn't practice at all this week dealing with a heel injury. Sounds like they're going to let him try things out pregame. We'll see if he's able to play here, but uh, uh, maybe it's a Flacco revenge game with Gang Green coming into town in Northeast Ohio. Yeah, I mean, look, Jets on the road this year. Let me give you, a little, let me give you some numbers. 12 points per game. 13.5 first downs. They've committed 16 turnovers offensively in their six road games. They've had 550 yards rushing. 234 came in the Denver game. They averaged 91 overall rushing on the road, but in reality they average about 63. 
They've had 946 yards passing on the road. That's 157 per game. And they average 13 points. So 12 points, I'm sorry. So, you know, I mean, and they're going against a Browns defense that has allowed the fewest passing yards in 15 games since the Raiders and the Colts in 2006. You know, and they've only allowed 105 points at home in eight games, 13.1. So I would think the under's in play here. I know the line's at seven and a half, but I don't know how the Jets block them. And unless Flacco throws two pick sixes, I think it's going to be hard for them to cover. Think about this, Femi. This is the job that you're, that Robert Sala, who deserves to come back because he's done such a wonderful job, okay? Run it back. He deserves it. The run it back, 188 to 108 at the end of the first half. They're down 13 points on average in every game. Thanks. It's a good thing that Cleveland's defense doesn't play really well at home. It's a good thing that that or, 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 or create turnovers because yeah, or the Jets are the most they, – they, they have the most fumbles of any team. You're really working on ball security there at the Jets because they, they have the most fumbles of any team in the league other than the Jaguars with 28. Yikes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just amazing. I mean, if somebody's paying attention, nobody's paying attention. What the fuck am I preaching about? I mean, I'm, uh, the, as Parcells once told me, quit kicking the dog, he's already dead. Like, he's coming back, quit kicking it. Well, one last note, uh, Robert Toller earlier this week said uh, they have no regrets not signing Joe Flacco earlier this season they? here. Why would you have no, no regrets? Why would they? And, 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 we'll, and we'll go ahead and why run it they? back. That's the campaign for uh, Why not? I mean, they're 20, Femi, they're 25.5% on third down. That's, that's an amazing stat. Through 15 games, that's the third worst third down percentage of any teams going back to the Cardinals in 12. 25% on third down. I mean, you want that back next year. You have to have that back next year. You need that back next year. That's building blocks. It's, it's insane. Saturday night, uh, this is, seems like it's going to be a fun game here. When you look at the total, total's at 53.5 between the Lions and the Cowboys. Right now, the, the line is at 5.5 here. Some Detroit money is coming in uh, over the last 24 hours, and I kind of agree with it. Like, I don't know if Dallas can lay this kind of number against a pretty good offense in the Lions. How do you see that playing out Saturday night at Big D where Jimmy Johnson finally will go into the ring of honor? Deserves it. Should have gone in sooner. Yeah. But at least, you know, one thing, as the great Al Davis once said, oh, I'm not looking to be consistent. I'm looking to be correct. At least Jerry got to be correct. Uh, I would say, you know, look, I, the Cowboys, the problems the Cowboys have is their offensive line when they go on the road. It's clear as day. They have a tough time. Prescott's under too much pressure. When they play at home, when they, play at home they, can mag- they, they can manage the rush much better. I think it's a close game. I, I don't think I would play it because I do think the Cowboys can cover at six as long as it's, you know, because I think a closing touchdown to end the game. And I think they'll put some pressure on, they'll put some pressure on Goff. And, and I, know the, I know the Lions are still playing for something. But once you hand out T-shirts and hats, the next game's the hardest game. And it's a Dallas team that's coming off back-to-back losses as well, trying to get uh, some momentum going towards the postseason here. Uh, I, I, I think Dallas wins, but I think it's a kind of hold-on-to-your-butt sort of situation. It feels like it's a shootout to me. Maybe it's the last team with the ball wins the game here. Uh, Miami and Baltimore is a hell of a game here. Uh, one seed in play for both of these teams. If Miami wins out, they're the one seed. If Baltimore wins, they clinch that home field advantage. Ravens three-point favorites, total 47. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, I think the one thing about this game that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is the game last year where they scored, Miami scored 28 points in the fourth. They scored 30, they scored 35 in the second half on Baltimore. I'm sure that's that's been talked quite a bit about at, at the Ravens facility this week, you know, and I think they've got to figure out how they want to handle this 
offense of Miami. You know, I mean, they watch what they did against ball, the San Francisco. You know, the way they attacked San Francisco's motions, the way they overloaded the pressure, I thought was really good. It was a creative game plan by McDonald. They've got a rush inside. You've got to get in front of Tua. I haven't seen the weather yet, Femi. I think I would be really concerned, you know, weather-wise here. So right now it, it, it looks like, you know, it, I haven't gotten a weather report. Cleet Blakeman's the official for oh, the game, God. but I haven't gotten the weather. So you got Cleet Blakeman going to the game. I'll tell you who you got on. Let me see who you got for your Cowboys. It better not be Novak. You got Brad Allen. You got Brad uh, Allen, though. Yeah. Let me see who we got tonight. I always like to know who we got tonight. <laughs> yeah. We got Alex Kemp tonight. Alex uh, Kemp tonight? I, I don't know okay. where Novak is. I don't know where hopefully, they sent. I'll get Hopefully that he's down. enjoying the holiday. But I, th- I think to me, you know, the, to me the thing about this game is I, I like Miami's defense, you know. I just think Miami's defense is good. Look, I – I, I thought Dallas would, would win last week. I, I gave it as a as one of the play. I think I had it at like it was two and a half, and I think the two. Then it came down to one and a half. I still would have taken it at one and a half, but I thought I you know when you lose a game by two points and the opposing team kicked three fifty yard field goals. I mean, come on. Yeah. Right. I mean, credit to that kid for making those kicks because if he doesn't make them, those are three turnovers. The Cowboys are going to win that game by fourteen points. Think about it. They're going to take the ball from where that spot is. They're going to go down and score. And so I'm sure Vic Fangio was sitting in the press box when he's watching those field goals. He's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Don't make it, make it, make it. Oh, thank God. Because, you know, we don't talk enough about field position. But trust me, every coach in the league who calls defenses talk about field position. You know, and he was like, okay, you get, give him this ball. Like, he was like, are you sure we want to make this kick? And the kid drilled him. Credit to him. He was nails. uh, Five for five. And the game-winning kick as well as time expired. Uh, Real quick here, Steelers at the Seahawks. It'll be Mason Rudolph who gets the ball once again for Pittsburgh. They're going up to Seattle where both teams are fighting for their playoff lives. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know what to make. I mean, Pittsburgh, uh, Lou Amaromo said said it best. He said, we just can't give up these one-play touchdown drives. And he did. You know, can they duplicate that against Seattle? I think, you know, Seattle, if they get Weatherspoon back, that certainly will help. Playing up there in the dome. I mean, this is a this is one of those where is the dome is is Seattle's home field going to come through? Not the dome. I keep thinking of the Kingdom, but <laughs> are they going to come through? I think that's going to be the key to this one. I mean, they should be able to neutralize Mason Rudolph in this game, and they should be able to throw against the secondary without Minka Fitzpatrick and and what they did. I mean, Cincinnati just turned the ball over. You got to block them. If you block them, you're going to throw it on Pittsburgh. I like Seattle in that game. Real quick, does Kansas City get right against Cincinnati, or is this kind of the beginning of the end of the Chiefs? Look, Cincinnati, Kansas City has issues. They're slow on offense. They're not as good as we think they are on defense, and they're trending in the wrong direction. Even if they get it right against against Cincinnati, whose secondary and defense is bad, I'm not sure it's right for the playoffs. All right, that does it for this edition of the GM Shuffle. We'll be back on Monday to recap everything Week 17. Subscribe, rate, and review as always, and have a good weekend. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.